0: Hi guys, you're listening to the Morning After, the Life Before podcast. I'm Jack Schofield.
1: And I'm Sam Corte. And the idea of this podcast is we're going to invite guests on to talk about their unheard stories behind their success and their character. We want to listen to their mischievous childhoods, bumpy educations and stories that don't quite fit the stereotypical model. The idea is we're going to wake up to find out what really happened behind the scenes and stories that never quite made it to social media.
0: This podcast is currently supported and produced by the team at 226 Photography. Sam, it's been a while. How are you doing?
1: I'm good, thank you. How are you?
0: Yeah, I'm good. What have you been up to?
1: Um, so I'm back off my break now. Had my four weeks holiday from the end of the season and started back training um still in the kitchen unfortunately (sighs) still cranking the miles out in the kitchen but hoping fingers crossed to be back with the rest of the team training on saturday and i can't wait
0: Sounds like a dream. Back on the water.
1: Well, not quite. Hopefully back on the water next week. Honestly, it's, I'm so jealous of everyone who's gone back.
0: But And the exciting part, hopefully an Olympic year again.
1: Yeah, the 2020 plus one is uh, I think what we're going to be calling it. Yes, take <laughs> two. We've officially started take two of the Tokyo Olympic. Yeah, another big year, another probably stressful year. Hopefully, fingers crossed, it doesn't throw as many curveballs as this one has thrown at us. Yeah, we'll just have to wait and see. I feel like now we're prepared for pretty much anything.
0: Yeah, <laughs> well, don't, don't speak too soon.
1: Well, yeah, true. What have you been up to?
0: Um, I've been busy taking lots of photos for different clients and stuff. I was injured for a little while, so didn't do too much cycling. So I've been doing a lot of running. I've got an elite marathon spot at Wrexham, uh, which is a marathon coming up in four weeks now. So you, it's elite in the sense that you're only allowed in if you've run sub two hours 40 for the marathon. So that'd be cool pretty punchy field there. So I'm excited for that. Nothing too exciting, really. I was down in London this weekend, shooting and doing some work. We obviously saw you in your break. We had a barbecue on the beach and caught up, which was nice. And yeah, just cracking on, really. Trying to find some normality. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? I'll introduce this week's guest then. Another one I've roped into the podcast. We've gone worldwide. He's from the Netherlands. We call him Tim G. Quite sure I pronounce his surname properly, so I won't embarrass myself. He does it in the introduction, Luckily, he. Works for the train companies, like a business manager in the Netherlands, incredibly intelligent guy, very good age group triathlete. I've raced him a few times. He nearly beat me with a bike that didn't work, which was quite embarrassing. But um, yeah, phenomenal guy, really nice bloke, Dutch Tim.
1: Well, the thing that I'm looking forward to in this podcast was that his girlfriend is a member of the Dutch rowing team. So I am super interested to find out what it's like living with an elite athlete on the other side
0: of things yeah she's she's an olympian and got a silver medal at the olympics in the dutch quad so exciting to hear all sides of the coin cool right well here you go here's tim let's bring him in
1: do you know what that's about sorry
0: (laughs) good work sam so tim welcome to the morning after the life before podcast how you doing
2: yeah thanks a bunch thanks for having me uh i'm doing great thanks and you we're good you're our first
0: international guest everyone else so far has been in the uk so do you want to tell us where you are where you're from
2: well well, good to hear good to hear your podcast is taking off not only on uh on the on the island but also uh, internationally (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah yeah so i'm uh i'm tim tim giraats in uh, in dutch i won't make you pronounce it correctly (laughs) <laughs> uh but i'm uh, uh, uh currently living in amsterdam uh and um yeah i ride bikes for fun uh apart from doing some swimming and running as well
0: yeah so we met through our mutual friend ruth didn't we so we were meant to we raced together twice before meeting didn't we i think we did yeah yeah. but we raced in almir and in um, yes. slovakia and then we were due to race twice this year as well and then you were gonna come and catch up with me in the uk but obviously that hasn't happened so um
2: no too bad we had a we had a good year planned there hadn't we yeah it was
0: gonna be good fun i could go four nil up
2: in the jack versus tim mini series <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm so glad for you that this that it hasn't well we haven't raced because uh you would have it would have cost you an um yeah.
0: <laughs> we'll get under that later but um
2: so let's start with
0: kind of where you grew up what your like home life was like did you grow up in the netherlands
2: yeah sure 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 so basically um netherlands as you might know isn't that big but Still, I um, I grew up in the south of the Netherlands. Actually, I grew up, I think, 60 k's from Maastricht, so where you're raised. Uh, and it's a province called Limburg, basically known for uh, its hills and people uh, pronouncing the G's and the, R's and the R's in a peculiar way. So I grew up in a province town. My mom and my dad both lived their entire, entire lives. I went middle school there, basically. I think it's middle it's called middle school, yeah? Before going off to um, university.
1: I was just going to come back to the fact you said there hills in the Netherlands. Are they actually hills or are they like slopes? Because I thought the Netherlands was very flat.
0: Yeah, but then everyone says that Box Hill's big in
2: London, and that's the same thing. And I think Box Hill would be a big hill in Limburg. <laughs> so, <Okay>. uh, <laughs> yeah, they're, def- they're definitely not mountains. And I think, think I uh, I wouldn't agree with you calling them slopes. They might be a bit <laughs> closer, closer to slopes than they are to hills. But uh, <laughs> please give us that, that they're called hills. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Whenever we race someone Dutch, they always say, in the Netherlands, we don't have hills, we just have wind. <laughs>
2: Yeah, the, the the Dutch Mountains. <laughs> we're famous yeah. for the Dutch mountain all the wind. yeah but to be fair there isn't really a much well, if you go to the south of Limburg so basically to the entire southern tip of um of uh, of the Netherlands and you've raised there Sam that's, that's uh, master. We've, we've got quite some hills there with some punchy climbs but yeah nothing really long
0: I can vouch there are some punchy climbs yeah it's right on the border of Belgium as well
2: right 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 so it's the border of Belgium and Germany but basically if you're not riding there you could do a 100k loop less than 100 vertical meters of climbing So
0: of the rides i see you guys do and 200 kilometers with, yeah, close to 70 meters of climbing. It's unbelievable. Easy. Easy. That's nuts. So do you have any brothers or sisters at home?
2: Yeah, yeah. So I've got. Uh, I'm the eldest. So I've got two younger brothers, both of living in Amsterdam as well. i Think we we're quite close. Funny to see because we had dinner last night or no, th- two nights ago with the three of us, and my parents were over as well. So we were the, the five of us were having dinner in Amsterdam, and we were discussing how similar yet different we are. I wasn't quite close to both of them growing up. Over time, I think we've been uh, growing ever nearer ever since. And especially my younger brother, he's really into sports as well. Actually, still rose, Built him his uh, his first proper bike last month, so he's uh, starting to ride his bike as well. So uh, yeah, especially my, my younger brother we're quite close. What was that?
0: What's the age difference?
2: I think we're all three years apart. So Bo is two years younger than me and Mitch is two and a half years younger than Bo is so it's not it's not that big. It's not that big.
0: Growing up through school and stuff, did you always know that you wanted to go to
2: university so my father's an engineer. I basically always wanted to, I knew I wanted to study engineering. Didn't really know what kind. So in my last year of, of middle school I figured out that I, I really like to study high-tech engineer basically that meant I applied for uh, aerospace engineering at TU in Delft I studied aerospace engineering and I finished my master's in uh, physics so I didn't go through with the whole uh, aerospace <laughs> course so I uh, started aerospace engineering and I finished uh, with a master's in physics how much of that
0: did you do in London
2: London was only to be fair was only uh, uh, a few months so I uh, okay. basically was over there just for the wrong yeah so I wrote in university and I when I came to Delft I was the impression okay I'm gonna be here for studying I'm gonna try my hardest to uh get my engineering degree and I wasn't really set on joining a fraternity as one does in in Holland or start rowing but then I got talked into partying at this uh, rowing club I didn't really do any competitive rowing I just went out for a row sometimes drank a beer next to my studies but the year after that I really I think it's fair to say that I got caught the rowing bug then I started rowing competitively my ambitious educational planning was out the window from then so
1: <laughs> <laughs> this happened to all of us but
0: yeah we've all been there uh... (laughs) Did you find school easy if you did engineering or did it come to you a bit more naturally, maths and things?
2: Some things did, uh, especially physics part, but I can't say it was an easy role for me. So uh, I um, definitely had to put some effort in things like maths because there are quite some diverse math courses being given and definitely had me working. (laughs) I thoroughly enjoyed it uh, in the well, in hindsight, I think it's um, type two pleasure. <laughs> like in hindsight, I really enjoyed it, but in the process, it was it was sometimes it was gruesome. I rowed in university, so I started rowing in as it's organized in the Dutch system. If you start rowing in your in your freshman year, you row in an eight. There's a competition of freshman eights. From that time, there's also a division between heavyweight, and lightweight. So I rowed a heavyweight my first year, and then with four of the guys from the eight, I uh, we made a coxless four, a straight four. I think you call it. or oh, the Americans call it a straight Not four, sure. a co- coxless four for second year rowers, and after my two years of rowing I realized I wasn't that big and I tried to get into the lightweight program so I started losing weight to start training in our lightweight program which was quite successful at that time. I did that for one year in a Coxless 4 as well. Uh, unfortunately that broke up uh, due to some illness in my crew. I had to start sculling in I think it was April or May or something, my crew broke up and had to start sculling with no sculling experience. That year was just learning a lot about rowing for me.
0: Because you're a fairly big guy, right? How tall are you? Well, I'm 187. Yeah, so a centimetre taller than me. I did think that. (laughs) How was that going for a lightweight boat at 187? Did you find that sort of difficult?
2: Mind you, there's a lot of tall guys in Holland. So also lightweight guys are quite tall. Yeah. But yeah, I, I had to come down from... I think I weighed in at 84 uh 83 84 during my heavyweight rowing and i had to come down to 72 and a half basically yeah how is that? Uh, i don't know what my motivation factor was exactly because in hindsight the lightweight rowing wasn't maybe the best <laughs> choice for me specifically remember one of my coaches telling me i wouldn't make weight so i shouldn't try and that was a, I think that was a like a motivation for me to do try it but yeah it was quite challenging to get down to weight the last few kilograms always got me like getting down to 70 76 75 was okay wednesday before a race i always was uh, like 75 75 and a half and then i had to get down to 72 and a half on saturday which basically meant i uh, i could, i couldn't really eat for a few days well i had to be really smart with what i ate and what i would eat i wouldn't be eating so uh, no fibers and no salt that kind of uh, stuff yeah i was either really strong as a lightweight or I could weigh in <laughs> so I was either really strong and or I could make weight well I couldn't have both
0: <laughs> did you find that that affected your relationship with food at all because obviously if you're going the week before racing not eating and like for that period all that's going through your head is weight instead of performance
2: yeah Well, it's funny because I do think that it it really has affected the way I I look at food. And I've I've never considered my food had to be earned. That's nothing I ever considered. But I was really aware of the energy that I could make available from food if I wasn't training or wasn't training as hard, would be eating less even the years after I stopped rowing as a lightweight. While at the same time, I was in my first two years of rowing heavyweight, I was really nervous for races. So I would be at the starting line. Well, you both know the feeling, your heart throbbing in your throat and you're just waiting for the green light. But I would be really really nervous. That would prevent me from like racing the best race I could a lot of the time. When I started rowing lightweight, there was a whole new dimension added with it basically, which basically I had to make weight. As soon as I stepped off the scales and I was on on, on weight and accepted into the race, there's a lot of burden that fell from my shoulder. So I felt that as a lightweight, I could raise a lot more relaxed.
1: Oh, so that's that's quite interesting that almost the stress of being a lightweight came from the weighing in and actually not rowing itself. So that was almost seen as a bigger challenge.
2: Right, right. So the stress level was really preloaded during a weekend. Like There was a lot of stress going into the weigh-in, but after that, it dropped off. Do you feel like you
0: enjoyed rowing more like that? Because obviously you'll have enjoyed racing more, but then you'll have found training more tough, right? Because you're so restrictive in your diet.
2: I think um, what I really didn't like was that I was quite, like I, we touched on before, I was, I was quite strong, but I couldn't be strong while making weight. And that was kind of messing with my motivation, but also with my comfort. In myself, yeah. Well, at the same time, I think it's fair to say that a lot of endurance athletes, <coughs> athletes or athletes in general are type A personalities that you're trying, you're looking for control in some part. And I was really getting a lot of satisfa- satisfaction from the fact that I was able to nail my trainings, losing weight and controlling my body in the sense of weight as well. Yeah, it was both, it, it was both things. In hindsight, it wasn't really the, the most healthy thing to do, but uh, it's, well, I did really uh, enjoy control controlling my training my body and and my weight as well
0: at this time were you partying a lot too at uni or were you pretty strict with the training
2: i don't think we were partying we were taking it quite seriously (laughs) i think that helped as well but at times there were definitely some parties yeah yeah
0: so you moved to london for a few months tim and you rode for ul at henley which obviously with ben matilda's boyfriend who lived with sam for a while small world at what point did you change over to triathlon?
2: I did go at UL for a couple of races, so they were building a lightweight program there uh, when Brian Young was coaching uh, at UL. Oh yeah. Uh, one of my clubmates uh, was is was the former coxswain of the Netherlands men's eight. That's P- Peter Weerson. and he was quite well known in in London. So he uh, he did a lot of coxing uh, at UL. He, they were building this lightweight aid for uh, head of the river. Basically, Peter asked me. And one of my crewmates, Jan uh, Willem, Jan uh, Willem Groeneveld, who's basically uh, who's, who's a good cyclist now as well. He's uh, he's doing a lot of these fixed criterion races. Peter asked us, look, guys, don't you want to come over to? Ul to raise uh, eight set there, so that's what we did. We built a we built a pretty nice eight. The lightweight boys from Ul, George Turner was in there, and Joe John, Matt Bedford, Luis. I think he's uh, in part owner of the training camp in Fies.
1: Oh yeah, oh was he in it?
2: Yeah, yeah, he was in it.
1: <laughs> oh wow!
2: It was a strange crew, uh, but we raced and it, it went quite well. Most of the crew came over to the Netherlands to race Harry Amstel and Heineken. Basically, after that. Uh, I got a call from, I think it was Brian, who said we were looking to build a lightweight POW uh, quad for Henley. Do you fancy coming over and rowing? As it happens, the year before, so in August, the August before, I fell off a piece of scaffolding really, really awkwardly and got injured. Couldn't partake in the in the lightweight program because, yeah, I was still trying to get back into some kind of competitive rowing and I clearly missed the selections. Me going into London and ATAB was basically... The result of the fact that I decided with my coach that I wanted to have a year in which I had a good time, enjoyed the rowing, but and could come back onto a racing level. The ATET was really nice, but then the request for me coming into this POW quad was also really nice. That's the reason I went to London. Uh, so I trained with the guys on the Tideway for uh, for a bunch. And then uh, I think we rowed Marlowe. Yeah. I think we qualified at Marlowe. Not- How
1: did you find rowing on the Tideway? <laughs>
2: (laughs) Well, it's a different experience, I must say. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was nothing I was used to. I was really, um, like for the first few outings, I was really uh, enjoying the scenery. I almost felt like a tourist at times. (laughs) But uh, rowing on the tideway is, some, is something different because there's such a lot of crews, but also the, the dynamics of the water is crazy. It's uh, such a fast flowing river or piece of water. The issue was that I never really rowed with these kind of currents, especially the the sensations of rowing into the tide were really <laughs> confusing to me and it, it took me quite some time to get used to it.
1: Yeah, it confuses everyone. I only ever do it when it's a race. Also, just the conditions that you can get are just sometimes like biblical. Sometimes it feels like you're in the middle of the ocean.
2: Yeah, 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 it really does. And I remember, I think it was a year later, maybe two years later, we went back there with a Dutch quad and the guy in bow was supposed to steer. We are telling him, so I was telling him basically, aim for the, the I think it's the second lamppost yeah, on the right, on, on the Hammersmith, yeah. or maybe the third. <laughs> I think yeah, it yeah. Might be
1: the, yeah, I think it might be the third now, but I'm not sure.
2: Ah, really? Okay, okay, okay. So uh, I was like, don't cut the corner, <laughs> stay in the middle. <laughs> and we were doing really well. I think we were gaining on a, uh, it must be the under a quad. Then <laughs> all of a sudden I see, the corner of my eye, I see a boat passing us on the right. I <laughs> like... <laughs> what's what's this <laughs> and i look over and i see we're totally in the wrong spot so yeah that was a quite an experience on the tight way. so when did you when did
0: you move to triathlon um
2: so i think i, d- I did a year of rowing after that i enjoyed the rowing but i wasn't progressing the way i what should have if i wanted to row, row the world championship or an olympics to be fair i never was good enough to make that so i decided either i my studies again now or i go folding on the rowing uh, with a slim chance of making the dutch team then uh, basically i um my girlfriend she 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 bought a bike for a training camp and she told me yeah I think you you quite like the bike kept that at a distance for a while but then I caved after a year I bought a bike and I really enjoyed riding my bike and running in it. and then so Inga was living at a, a rower's house here in Amsterdam one of her flatmates. She uh, also a rower. She wasn't a Dutch eight, I think, at that moment. Her boyfriend came down with uh, with his TT bike. Oh, what's this? This uh, this seems quite interesting. Decided to learn to swim, and then I think I did uh, my first Olympic distance race um, half a year after that. So that was basically my introduction to triathlon.
0: And how long ago was that? 2015, I think. Okay, it's about five years. Since then, had gone from strength to strength. Like, I'd consider you one of the best age groupers now. Don't think that's too unfair to say like not the best but you're definitely up there with some of the top age groupers at triathlon races you don't have to admit that don't worry i'll say it for
2: you well that's that's that's
0: very kind (laughs) but uh did you find the transition smooth from rowing to triathlon do you miss rowing or are you glad you came to the dark side for the cookies
2: (laughs) no well too far to say that i miss rowing uh i really like the sport uh, I haven't done it in like didn't row for a, a proper long time after I, I, I switched to triathlon. But uh, last year um, there was this. Uh, it's basically a triathlon organized by a rowing club in which you uh, a rowing a running and a biking race. And, um, uh, because Inga was taking a year off rowing, she decided to enter. I thought, well, let's, let's join, sign up as well and, and race this triathlon because I know how to run. I know how to ride a bike. And I did quite some scullings. I must remember how to scull. That was my first real row in, in, I think four or five years. And I must say, I really enjoyed it. I didn't really miss it, but I also didn't really realize how nice it was. The rowing is, is something I like, but it's not something I'm going to transition back to because it's, well, we spoke about it in the prologue, so to say, of this, uh, podcast but it's always a lot of faff the rowing <laughs> the running running a bike is a lot more time efficient
0: yeah that's for sure and you see more cool stuff that's true yeah you don't have to put the second lamppost on hammersmith bridge you can run across the whole bridge <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true how do you find work and fitting training in around work because you've got a pretty intense job right you work with energy the climate trains that sort of thing i'm sure you can explain it better
2: yeah so basically it's fair to say that i work for dutch national railways basically work for a company that's called ns internationals so it's international department of the Dutch National Railways. And I work in a in a in a business development position. So basically a small team and myself we're charged with the long term strategy of international train travel from and to the Netherlands. Sustainability is definitely a big part of that. Yeah. How do
0: you find fitting your training in around work? And then we'll come on to sort of Inger in a second.
2: Let me start off by saying I think that everyone who starts a professional career as an athlete is quite brave in the sense that you find something you love, you want to test yourself against the best in the world because that's what you do when you're a professional athlete. It's quite a bold move to move from away from a safe haven as a job into something that's so dependent on your personal performance, even at times when you're not quite able to control all the external parameters. So let me start off by saying that I have tremendous respect for people turning pro, especially in a triathlon field. That being said, I really enjoy the fact that triathlon and triathlon training and training in general is my hobby. I really do it because I like it. I like to train hard and I like to race hard and I like to have fun as well. Of course, that combines with a full-time job. Sometimes that doesn't really combine the way I want it at times, but at the same time, it's at sometimes I'm, I'm an athlete, an amateur athlete, but I'm an athlete and at sometimes yeah. I am an employee for a company who has a lot of responsibility and a lot of work to do. So I like the fact that I choose to be an amateur athlete. Yeah. And also choose to have the freedom of skipping a session or adding in an extra session at times when it feels better or most valuable to me. A work understanding with your racing and stuff. They, they do. And I don't think they all know to what extent I'm training and racing. And I don't really talk about it a lot with my colleagues. Of course, they, they know I like to train and ride my bike and go for a run uh, and race triathlons. But that's uh, no, not never really a topic of conversation at work, and I try to try to separate it as well. That's quite interesting.
1: Yeah, I guess it's quite a nice way to have something where there's like that real separation between the two worlds. There's no pressure from anyone at work asking how the triathlon's gone, and if that's not gone as well, you can almost escape when you go to work, almost like having been two different people.
2: Yeah, I think that's fair to say. And of course, leading up to big races, it's a bit more top of mind uh, for uh, everyone racing big races. So for me as well, racing worlds last year in Nice, for example. I did talk to, about it about it to some of my colleagues and they really actively asked me how it, how my preparations were going. And during the race, they wished me good luck and after it, they asked me how it went. But uh, that's one of the rare times I maybe make it a topic of conversation. Yeah, and it's like you say, Sam, it's really nice to have uh, the clean day Denmark- demarcation between this is something i do for work and this is something i do for fun you could exchange the one with the other that's really nice Yeah,
1: because i guess that's what professional athletes miss out on their whole identity is their sport of what they do so don't necessarily get that separation or that break
0: well, i think that's what you find in your friends and your support group isn't it rather than your work you don't have the escape of work life to divert your attention yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: You just then have to be quite good at not I wouldn't say choosing your friends, but making sure that you do have a group of friends that aren't just your teammates because then you can yeah. you can end up just being stuck in the same world.
2: No, and and I think that's to some extent you can actively choose that, but especially when you're coming into rowing, this at the same time you're also coming into university. For most people, that's the first time they are living they're not living under the, under their parents' roof. It's the first time they are making new friends, it's the first time they're learning Things about themselves they haven't really known. And I think it's a really formative period in which you make a lot of friends, the the most friends with the people you spend most time with. If you start rowing crew in your freshman year, basically that those are going to be the people who are going to be your friends as well. I can say for one that I still have a lot of friends from my freshman uh, year. Which are, I can still, still consider to be a really good friends. If you come into the sport of rowing during this, at the same time you come into university, you really have to actively search for another group of, another social group to uh, get that connection. And I think that's a challenge for uh, some people. That's
1: when I started rowing, was when I joined uni. I've definitely, the majority of my friends from uni are from the rowing side of things, from the people I met while I was rowing. There was like a few people that I'm still in contact with on my course and housemates that i've lived with it's a lot Mm -hmm. harder because also with the rowing my attendance at lectures and things wasn't the best so actually finding (laughs) the knowing people on my course was partly (laughs) a problem but yeah that's it is interesting
2: but if people like listening to your story that are most likely the people that are also interested in what you're telling so that's kind of a reinforcement process there as well yeah so when did you meet inger tim so i met Inga. Uh, during her rowing camp, I think she was, uh, so I, I think this was in 2000, must have been in 2012. Last year I rode uh, competitively and she was training for uh, the qualification for the London Olympics. And my coach was the same coach that was coaching her double because her doubles partner was was a girl from my club. Yeah, ended up on the same training camp, and that's how we met.
0: Nice. So this is where we should obviously say you are with Inga, who is an Olympic medalist in sculling, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. How do you find living with? A professional athlete and offering that kind of support for her that she needs to go through training because we we're just saying obviously you have the escape of work however a lot of Inga's escape is with you so how's that balance
2: yeah it's it's quite nice to be honest obviously we're both into sports almost serves like an amplification for uh, each other's interests it helps that I know the structure of rowing and the context in which she's training and uh, because I've been a part of the rowing scene as well myself I think that's of course I do play the role of like a supportive role on the home front, but that being said, Inge is someone who is really determined about what she wants to achieve, has a clear idea of how she wants to achieve it, actively asks me about my opinion at times when she deems it necessary, but most of the times she is uh, quite self-sufficient in in, uh, making her decision, so to say.
1: I guess that's quite good for you knowing where you stand as well. Otherwise, I especially find it quite difficult with my parents when they want to talk about rowing and stuff because they don't really understand it and they think they know when I need something and they try and second guess it and it's quite hard so I tend to actually well, to keep them things from them but yeah I think I, I was the same I would go to someone to ask if I needed something but I think my parents haven't quite grasped that
0: yet. Would you do that all of the time though, Sam? I suppose they're obviously just trying to help. Your parents are great, you know that. Let's be the first person to say that. Do you think that we are good at asking for help in times that we need it?
1: Well, I wonder whether part of the fact that I tried to leave my parents out of it was before I rode, I used to ride horses. They very much supported that financially with their time. It was very much like a team effort. And the whole time I did it, I was fully aware of how much they were giving therefore by the end of it results and performances and things were I felt I was doing them for other people and not necessarily myself now I feel like I find it a lot easier in the rowing that I don't want to end up in that same situation I've kind of got it into my head that I do the rowing for me and for nobody else and If now I feel like the only person I can properly let down is myself. And I guess I go to other people depending on what I need from them. So, like, I think I choose who I go to help with a lot better. Otherwise, because my... I was a lot younger and I was still a child my parents were
0: the obvious choice that's really interesting so when you let's say you had a bad race you would only feel like you've let yourself down sorry that's a very loaded question
1: (laughs) I don't do it for anybody else yeah I guess the only person that I would feel that I could potentially let down was someone that I was with but then it was a team effort so not only like we haven't really let each other down if that makes sense I think
2: no of course I think
1: beforehand because I was aware of the money side especially with horses it's so expensive I was well aware aware of how much it was. And I felt the only way that I could repay them back for that was by having good results whereas with the rowing it's my time I'm putting into it I'm putting all the effort in no one's making me do it then actually now I don't really have anyone to let down for it
0: yeah I find find that really interesting because I'm literally the opposite all of 2019 I raced terribly every time across the line all I could think about was all the people I'd let down and really no one actually cares like they're all proud of you for the time you put in and it's only me that does the training but that was the my first kind of instinct was all these people that help and support behind the scenes
1: yeah
2: I felt like i let them down
1: I think I had to go through that the horses and with the riding for me to not make the same mistake again in the rowing
2: just find it super interesting to hear both of your views but Sam as I understand you got, you almost describe it as some sort of a transaction between your parents and yourself at the time you were still in the horses do you still consider it to be a transaction so to say now that whatever you put in you must get out in terms of results or do you measure your success by other things than results oh god um (laughs) good work tim you can stay
1: (laughs) (laughs) wow um i think the right answer for me to say is no but i think deep down initially yes would probably think that the harder i work then would be expecting to see results i think if i give myself time to actually think about it and to weigh it all up and to analyze it then i'm probably can start to see a bigger picture
0: this is the problem with sport right is that so this is something me and sam spoke about to begin with is that something we really wanted to explore with this podcast is that actually it is drilled into you that winning is the best literally just heard sam do it there no matter how much you try and tell yourself it's the taking part and giving applying everything you have, there's always that slight bit of disappointment when you didn't quite achieve the result you wanted. And it's always results orientated because the reality is you when you've crossed the line and you decide, oh, I could have, would have, should have, you didn't. In that moment, i've no doubt that every single one of us and the people we chat to were giving everything they had because if they believed they had any more they would would have given it but there's always that what if and it always seems to be results orientated
2: yeah well i think that's i think it's fair to say of course especially when you're competing in a competitive event or in event in, in a sport in which there are prizes given for only the first or the first two, the first three finishers so to say what i find really interesting in in a lot of sports and especially in, in the last few years is that on the one hand performance 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 in a race is still something that we only use as the sole parameter for measuring what's a good performance or what's a bad performance. So a podium place is a good performance, but a a fourth place or a 10th place or a 100th place isn't a good performance. This counterintuitive, if you consider that a lot of events, especially triathlon, try to artificially enhance the feeling of just crossing the finish line. And I'm still torn between whether I support the artificial enhancement of that feeling or that i dislike it because i'm a competitive person i've never in rowing or any other sport received such huge medals <laughs> for crossing a finish line well i haven't even won the race that's something that bothers me in triathlon i have a whole drawer of medals which basically could be used as manhole covers <laughs> but basically i've paid for them uh, so that's a really strange phenomenon i think yeah,
1: yeah it is is weird i think i've got a lot better in training at looking at things and not comparing myself to other people. I think that was something I, especially in my first couple of years in the team, spent my whole time looking at results sheets and as soon as we did some pieces then looking at the what the results were and where I finished in the rankings. That was something that I did and really got myself down about because it wasn't at all reflective of how the week's training has gone. I would base a whole week's training on two pieces that we did on a Saturday. Whereas the past couple of Mm. years, I've definitely got a lot better of looking at training in a bigger picture. But when it comes to racing, I feel like that's when the numbers and the placings do start to matter. Because we are getting into the sorts of competitions where the top so many qualify for the Olympics. If you finish in the places outside of that, no matter how good your race was or how good you race personally, you still haven't done what the actual aim of it was.
2: Did you find a new beginning in rowing? Because it sounds like you have. I
1: pretty much decided that I was going to try and find a sport that was less time consuming than horses and found rowing so <laughs> i didn't succeed on that front <laughs>
2: <laughs> i did the same thing i quit rowing and i started triathlon <laughs> there you go <laughs> three sports to deal with instead of one. Oh man it's uh it's awful
0: <laughs> <laughs> what's it like living with an olympian then tim
2: do you find that that inspires you yeah well so we've been together for eight years yeah uh, a bit more than eight years and but more than eight years let me start off by saying that Inga is the most dedicated and hardworking person, I know, but who also loves what she does. She still inspires me every day, but maybe more subconsciously yeah. in the way she goes about her day, about her training and how she, especially in this in this last year, <laughs> I think it's fair to say it was quite a disappointing year in any regard. I think she has really inspired me in the way she's conducted herself, dealing with a lot of disappointment, uh, especially because of the Olympics being canceled or being postponed and still finding the fun in what she does. She really loves being challenged physically and racing a boat from A to B as quick as possible. She really enjoys being outdoors, being fit, measuring herself against her roommates and uh, yeah that's something that really uh, enjoy being a, a spectator too so to say.
0: Have you found that that's influenced you as well because obviously well the last few months you've been, been quite ill but now you're starting up again you've built up like a new adventure bike and you are sort of it seems from the outside like you're falling back in love with the sport that you originally found.
2: Yeah yeah well I think it's, it's good to mention that March April things got quite hectic at work <laughs> obviously because uh, nobody was able to travel but nobody wanted to travel and all borders were basically closed from all of a sudden at uh, 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 day x so to say yeah that took a lot out out of me in terms of work my first race of the years was was uh, marbella 70.3 basically when that got canceled i was like okay uh all, all the swimming pools are closed i'd done my ankle like a few weeks before on a, on a curb i couldn't really run so I couldn't swim and I figured like, the hell with the training schedule. I'm just going to ride my bike for fun. But if you don't have any schedule, training schedule, don't have any rest days as well. So on, on the days I was supposed to be taking a rest day and Inge asked me, hey, you want to go for a ride because I have a recovery ride uh, in the books. So I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll go with, with you on a recovery ride. Although I was getting a bit tired, I was like, yeah, I'm fit. I'm not really training. I'm just... Uh, exercising while at the same time i really underestimated the general stress overworking and over training and not really feeling really great for a couple of months over that time i really rested it took me a while to figure out i really need to take a, a breather and rest and i used that time to uh well to build up two bikes i think it's fair to say that i'm falling back in love with training i'm uh, i'm still considering how uh how this is going to pan out in the in this year by the looks of it we're not going to have any races
1: i remember when we first went into lockdown and one of my neighbors uh was in the team for a bit and she said to me through her living room window was whatever you do just like don't burnout over the lockdown I think I lasted maybe two weeks with trying to fit in like three sessions a day and in the end was kind of just like one why am i doing it because the olympics has been postponed now i basically cut a session out and just started doing something that was like not at all related to to training and i think i took up every craft there was possible even started dancing on tiktok just anything that wasn't training (laughs) but because i'd taken out one session i just had the energy to do it just what i needed to do to stop myself from burning out and Struggling physically and mentally with the lockdown, it was just a breather and almost like the freedom that we've never, I've never really had before. Most people lost their freedom, but I think athletes almost gained a bit of freedom.
2: Was it was was that your own
1: decision? We got I have to be careful about how much I say here, so I don't get shouted at. They basically gave us like a whole new program as soon as we went into lockdown, and then there were optional sessions in that. I took them out, took the optional sessions out and and then I definitely had conversations with the coach where they were like, oh, training seems to be going really well. Like, why don't you bring back in the optional session? And I basically just turned around and said that I think the reason that it is going better or it is going as well as it was, was because I was giving myself a bit more freedom in the day. I mean, I played so much swing ball. Which I don't think I've ever played in my life.
2: Do you know what that is? I have no idea. <laughs> it's
1: like a it's like a pole in the garden which has a tennis ball attached to a swing. Uh yeah, but, but a tennis ball I attached know, to a swing. I know, yeah, I know it, yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So I basically did that with my housemate for like eight weeks. <laughs> and, <laughs>
2: Fantastic. <laughs>
1: and it was just something different. But did you win? oh oh no of course i didn't win (laughs) i have zero hand-eye coordination (laughs) i'm just so glad that the my neighbor said to me at the start of lockdown just whatever you do just don't burn out I've just given away all the secrets there. Swing ball is the secret to the GB success.
2: <laughs> I'll, I'm going to tell
0: in- Inge directly after. <laughs> you get one set up in your flat in Amsterdam, mate. Yeah. <laughs> you were quite ill through the whole of lockdown, right, Tim? So you were not even able to... How did you find the dynamic of that? Because obviously you were struggling, you were hugely fatigued, and Inge's trying to train. And no one's quite sure of the direction of all of that. Did you find it tough?
2: yeah well it wasn't fun yeah of course <laughs> i think i'm quite of an upbeat person with personality and i tend to do more rather than less and ingo always tells me that i need to faff more <laughs> or maybe be be a bit more relaxed i can give you some tips if you need to out. faff <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes please <laughs> maybe we could extend this call yeah. after <laughs> no but she always tells me to maybe chill out more
0: do you think much will change for you guys moving forward based off
2: that yeah i think it will for example we have been talking about moving abroad we're going to use the next couple of months to figure out how that's going to pan out
0: yeah absolutely
2: because i remember
0: chatting because we obviously raced together in nice at the end of last year at the world championships and i came for dinner with you guys and i was chatting to inger about sort of what her plans were post tokyo Um, and she obviously was quite keen to do certain things and progress in areas retire from being an elite rower so that must be quite hard that now yeah everything that you had lined up for the last few years ready to go now after post olympic hasn't happened because obviously the olympics hasn't happened you've got to make the decision to go back into another year of training and that puts what is essentially the next stage of your life on hold for a
2: while yeah yeah that of course the decision to continue on to 2021 was also based on the fact that so if I stop rowing now and I need to get a job in the job market that is as we as we discussed isn't really that appealing.
1: That's so true I hadn't really thought of it like that actually. (laughs) Shock. it's weird Dave it's not very often that, that rowing seems like the best job
2: the decision to continue, continue on to next year is in the first place has to be made because of the fact that you still have the fire inside of your belly to um, try to race your heart out to get an, a medal
0: yeah so what about you Tim will we still see the Ironman debut next year
2: <laughs> yeah well I was planned to be racing uh, Roth this year that will be my first full distance uh, uh, triathlon I really like the 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 middle distance the half distance triathlon yeah. Yeah. yeah, we'll have to see. Like I said, like like we've, I think like we've established, there goes a lot of training um, effort into preparing a triathlon if you want to do it well. Yeah. I definitely was looking at a at a sub nine hour, well, a nine hour or maybe sub nine hour race. I still need to train a lot to be able to get back into that shape again. Kind of need a bit of. In Dutch, we call it forpret. It basically means means you have to have some like pleasure into preparing the event. Um, and because there aren't any events planned. Planned. I can't really. I'm not really living into an event, so I can't really answer that question. I, I think, but I, def, I definitely want to be racing again. So not sure whether I'm going to uh, uh, commit myself to a full distance Ironman because it's a it's a long day, <laughs> and I really I really like the I really like the racing the half distance. Yeah, half distance is great. So we've got a couple of questions
0: that we ask. We've been asking everyone. Um, although I think the first one, you, you're not quite the impulsive character that some we've had on, so I don't know how this one will go down. But what's the the
2: most extravagant thing you've bought recently? Well, I'm super Dutch, of course. So I, uh, I'm. Uh... <laughs> so I went to last year. I went to Patagonia for a walking trip in November with friends of mine for a month, which was super nice. And I think I I spent like 50 euros on ice cream in an Italian airport. <laughs> Is that okay?
1: That's yeah. pretty good. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> it was good ice cream, to be fair. It was really good. And if you could tell your younger self one thing what would it be well i think we touched on it i think um i think it it would be just to make sure to do things because you like them and not because you think you need to be good at them or because you have a certain result or effect in mind i think that would be it i've
1: got one last question this is a guest's question this is our first guest input and it came from ben riley o'donnell and his question (laughs) when was the last time i'm going to get the pronunciation wrong of this But when was the last time you had... Is it a Snell gel bar?
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) I had one yesterday, Yesterday, actually.
1: You had one yesterday? (laughs) Jack doesn't know anything about this, I don't think. But, um... Tim was actually in an advert.
0: I think I've seen this.
1: Have you seen this advert?
0: Have you? Was it when you were super young and sculling? Right, yeah.
1: He was. I can send it to you, actually, because Ben has sent me the
0: advert. Yeah, so you showed me this in Nice after the race when we were having dinner. Did I? (laughs) <laughs> i think so yeah well you definitely showed me in nice but I don't, I, it must have been after the race because we were sat around having pizzas weren't we yeah we have uh,
2: <laughs> yeah well i have snell yesterday actually. You get them cheap? well i used to but now <laughs> i just buy them like uh, every uh every other regular person but do i don't think i don't think you can get them in the uk and, and your guys you're missing out because they're delicious what are they gingerbread i think it's a uh, A combination between malt loaf and gingerbread would be the good explanation with
0: chocolate or just plain or
2: yeah you could get you could get them plain or with chocolate or raisins in there uh yeah and so i well like like sam said i did wasn't a commercial for the for the bars six years ago or something i still got reminded uh, by people about it. Uh, <laughs> obviously, obviously Ben is uh, the one who pulls the question. So, if if you see Ben, please do ask him if he had a schmuck or a pancake uh, recently. Okay,
1: I'll ask him. My
0: favourite Dutch treat, well, I've got two favourite Dutch treats. One is the Poffages, the little pancakes that they have with butter and icing sugar. What an unbelievable combination. Yeah, they're fantastic. And also, is it the Hagelslag, like the chocolate sprinkles that you like melt onto toast? Yeah, Hagelslag, yeah, yeah. So whereas we would use chocolate sprinkles to go on a cake or something you guys just like pour them onto toast and it's
2: like nutella yeah i i just eat them for breakfast that's my that's my breakfast of oh, champions <laughs> yeah roy roy the guy who was was also racing in nice yeah is so every every athlete and every triathlete or every rower has a has a, a pre-race breakfast roy's breakfast is um plain white bread with chocolate sprinkles it's he okay. always eats it for before a race and he's re- he's really damn fast this guy i should expect
0: I was gonna say this guy is an absolute weapon. He's probably about sixty kilograms. Tiny little whippet. He's phenomenal. He eats white bread and chocolate sprinkles. Is that true? I'm gonna ask him.
2: <laughs> yeah, do do. He, that's his uh, his go to um, race. We were race to ride, program. didn't
0: we, mid lockdown? You, me, Roy, and Cheba? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. On Zwift, it was good fun. You catch up?
2: Yeah, it was nice. So do come over to the to the to the mainland to uh, to Dutchland sometime, and I uh, will. We have, we have a good ride with Cheber Roy and yourself. I oh, will, we're, we're allowed. We're um, banned at the
0: moment, aren't we, from travelling, basically. Too bad. When
2: it, when it's lifted, you're more than welcome. I look
0: forward to it. Well, you've been a great guest, mate. Thank you for coming on.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Sam's gotta go and have an awkward conversation with her parents now when they hear this. <laughs>
2: <laughs> They're
1: gonna ask me all the stuff I've hidden from them.
2: I I've, I've got one, I've got one last question. How's the how's the ten thousand pound horse leg? Like?
1: <laughs> oh god. I did ask him about it. I think he donated some money to the charity, but he didn't pay the £10,000 for the horse's leg.
0: Such a good story. Awesome. Right. Thanks, mate. Thanks, guys.
1: Thank you. So hopefully you found that chat as interesting as we both did. I finally managed to get some insight into what it's like to live, to live with an elite athlete. It just ended up just being a really interesting conversation. I think between all three of us about our own personal struggles with pressures of sport, how we deal with them and also. The impact that our families have on them. We got a bit of an insight into how Tim saw it from that support side of things, and yeah, we could give a give an insight into how we we deal with them, and we obviously deal with things very differently.
0: Yeah, I found it really a few things really interesting. One of the main ones being how we attached stre- the stress of racing to his weight loss when he was racing as a lightweight once he'd made weight that was kind of like the main event done and then he could really enjoy the race if he made it that far and which i know a lot of people are obviously completely the opposite it's the race that stresses you out so much so that was quite interesting as was the fact he has sort of almost two personalities and the people at work couldn't even tell you he does triathlon which must give him an amazing escape from his both both sport and work when he doesn't need to think about one when he's involved with the other which I think is something that a lot of people struggle with when they get so intertwined finding space to just get away can be really difficult but yeah I just found he's a really insightful guy and I really enjoyed that conversation
1: yeah really smart guy and it was quite interesting to also have questions fired by at us as well, yeah.
0: Um, yeah. When he put you on the spot, that was amazing.
1: <laughs> put me on the spot, but it's good. Like it does make you think, and obviously we don't just do this podcast to grill our guests. And yeah, it was nice to to get probably a taste of our own medicine back.
0: Yeah, hopefully you enjoyed what you hear. If you do, subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on, and uh, leave us a review. It's much appreciated. And let us know if there's anyone you want us to get on.
1: Bye. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Please tell all your friends. Oh, and slide into the DMS.